So we're beginning this series on Jonah, um, and it's because a number of our leaders felt that it would be good in the new year to focus on listening to God and um, seeking to learn better how to be led by God and guided by God's Holy Spirit, rather than in our own ideas and our own strength. Um, and as, as we look at the book of Jonah, I think we'll see that it's a good book to help us do that. We're also going to do something a lot of you have appreciated in the past, and that is spend two weeks on each passage of scripture to, to allow us to absorb them more deeply. So today we begin with chapter one of Jonah and what it can teach us about listening to God's voice. We've just heard the whole story. Now we're going to focus in on the first part of the story this week and next. Jonah begins with God speaking, evidently very clearly, and God speaking to a guy named Jonah, the son of Amittai. The word of the Lord came to him. And we aren't told how God's word came, whether he, Jonah heard an audible voice or, or sensed God speaking in his heart, but evidently it was clear and unmistakable. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. By the way, I'm using the New International Translation this morning, um, or New International, sorry, New, New American Standard. Um, which might be a little different from yours, but it preserves the, the actual Hebrew wording better in this case, which for this particular passage will make it require less explaining on my part. So, um, but let, let me just point one translation point out uh, about this translation and about the word Jonah heard from the Lord, and it's about Nineveh's wickedness. The Hebrew word that's being translated here as wickedness can also be translated trouble or calamity. In fact, this same Hebrew word is used for the storm in verses 7 and 8, where it brings trouble and calamity on the ship that Jonah's aboard. So in verse 2, which is it? Is God concerned about the wickedness in Nineveh or the trouble in Nineveh? We happen to know around the time the story of Jonah is taking place, which is sometime in the 8th century BC, Nineveh, the great Assyrian city, was facing a lot of trouble. There was a serious famine there at that time. There was also a significant solar eclipse, which in the superstitions of that time was taken to be a seriously bad omen. And it led to unrest and dread and panic and rebellions and turmoil in Assyria. People were, were scared to death. Anxiety was running rampant. Is this what has come up before God, the troubles of Nineveh? Is Jonah to cry out against the city because of its wickedness or because of its troubles, or is it both? It's not clear, and we're going to have to wait and see how the story plays out. Well, regardless, the Lord tells Jonah, arise and go and cry out against this great city. And so Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. 
Tarshish is in the exact opposite direction from Nineveh. Not only does Jonah not obey God's word to go to Nineveh, but he doesn't even choose to simply do what we often do, and that is to ignore it and keep doing whatever he's doing. No, Jonah actively gets up and does goes in the exact opposite direction of where God wants him to go. Why? To get away from God. To get somewhere maybe where he thinks God won't bug him anymore. Jonah is running hard away from God. He's trying hard not to have to hear from God anymore. And this is striking. In fact, this is the only time I can think of in the Bible where the word of the Lord comes to one of God's prophets and the prophet flatly refuses to obey it. Sure, other prophets sometimes complained or protested. Isaiah did. Jeremiah did. Even Moses did. They found it hard. They questioned God. They... But, but they stayed in conversation with God, and they worked it out, and by the end of the conversation, they obeyed. But not Jonah. He just flat takes off in the opposite direction. And so, as we'll see throughout this story, Jonah is not the hero of this story. He is not the good guy in this story. Jonah is not an example. Do not be like Jonah. So what does Jonah do in response to God's word? He goes down to Joppa, to the seacoast, and then he finds a ship and he goes down into the ship. Jonah goes down and down. The language is intentional. God said, arise and go to Nineveh. And so Jonah arises, but then he goes down and down into the belly of a ship headed in the opposite direction. Jonah's running from God. Also notice Jonah pays the fare of the ship. And some interpreters think this means he paid his own fare, but others that he paid the cost of the whole ship. Either way, this would have been extremely expensive. Tarshish was a long way away on the far side of the Mediterranean to the west. The ships, ships back then were small and very expensive. This is serious money back in that day. Most people could not afford to do, take this trip. Jonah may have been very wealthy, or he may and or he may have had to sell his house and all of his belongings. But Jonah's leaving everything behind here. His people, his country, his family, his livelihood, his calling as a prophet. Do you realize there's only one other thing we know about Jonah in the Bible? And that's in 2 Kings 14, where Jonah prophesied, a very welcome, very popular message. It was during the reign of Jeroboam II, a notoriously wicked king. But the message that Jonah got to deliver in that case was that Jeroboam would extend the borders of Israel and reestablish its glory and prosperity. What a lucky guy Jonah was 
to get to deliver this good news. Even though Jeroboam was a wicked king, and even though other prophets at that time, like Amos and possibly Hosea, were crying out and rebuking Jeroboam and Israel for their wickedness, Jonah got to be the one to bring a positive message. Maybe this made him popular. Maybe it made him a hero. We don't know for sure the timing of all of this, but whatever prophetic ministry Jonah had enjoyed before God told him to go to Nineveh, Jonah's giving it all up now, exiling himself from his life, from his God, from his people. Jonah really wants absolutely no part in obeying God's word. Jonah maybe figures there are other prophets in Israel. You know, I'm out of here. Let God pick one of them and send them to Nineveh. But God has other ideas. (laughs) For some reason, God will not give up on Jonah and use someone else. No, God decides to push the issue with Jonah. And God has the power to do it. So verse 4 The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Well, at this point, we meet the sailors on the ship. These are pagans. They don't worship the God of Israel, and they are terrified. They realize how serious this situation is, so much so that they give up on the ship's cargo which is their reason for this trip in the first place. So tossing it overboard, this is a catastrophic financial loss for these people. But they're desperate. And and so after they do that, they, they all pray to their gods. Now, we have to realize at this time, everybody believed in the gods. And and given the probable suddenness and ferocity of this storm, the sailors figure a god must have done this, some god. But which God? There are lots and lots of gods, national gods, tribal gods, family gods. Who knows which one was responsible? Some great God, no doubt. So so the best you could do if you're the sailor, the best you could hope to do was cover as many bases as possible. Everyone had a God, often a family God, that they consider to be the patron and the protector of their family. So everyone prays to their own God in hopes that maybe their God was the one who brought the storm, or more likely, maybe their God knew who did and could intercede to that greater God about the storm. That's how polytheism works. You're mostly in the dark about what the gods are up to. Why would they care about you? But but you do what you can, and you try to motivate your God to do what he or she can, too, on your behalf. But you're mostly just guessing. And so for an Israelite like Jonah, who has only one God and knows that God personally and knows that their God is the true God and they know their God's character and they know what God expects of them, they would tend to look at these pagans with pitiful disdain. Look at these pagans. They're clueless. They're flopping around in their ignorance with their fake pagan gods. But guess what? Jonah 
the only Israelite on this ship. What's he doing? He's asleep. He, he's not praying. He's not doing anything. He's missing in action. And besides, he's not on speaking terms with his God anyway. And so the captain of the ship finds Jonah and rebukes him. How is it that you are sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish, right? Jonah, you're doing nothing to help here. Hello, we're all about to die. You should be praying, which is ironic, isn't it? (laughs) The pagan captain has to tell Jonah, the prophet of God, that he should be praying. But how does Jonah respond? He says nothing. He's silent. The prophet of the true God has nothing to say. Well, the sailors then take action again. Each man said to his mate, come, let's cast lots so we can learn on whose account this calamity, there's that word that we saw at the beginning, has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Casting lots was a common way of trying to discern the ways of gods. The pagan diviners did it. The priests of the Israelites did it too, though only to seek guidance from the true God. Well, these pagan sailors do it. They, they, they cast lots, and guess what? This is remarkable. The Lord honors these pagans' efforts and their desire to hear from heaven and gives them a response, a true response. The lot falls on Jonah. God singles Jonah out in front of the sailors, and now he's cornered. He'd run from God. He'd slept through the storm. He'd remain silent when the captain rebuked him and asked him to pray. But Jonah just can't avoid the Lord forever. And so the sailors turn on him. Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? Give us something. Give us anything to shed light on why we're all about to die. Why has your God sent this calamity? And so finally, Jonah opens his mouth and speaks. These are his first and only words in this part of the story. Here they are. I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry ground. Now, what you have to realize is that from the sailor's perspective, a God of heaven who made the sea and the dry ground would be way up there in the pecking order of gods, way up there. Most ordinary people would never worship a God like that. Sorry, I've lost part of my notes. The reason they wouldn't worship a God like that is a God that big and that important was was someone that a king would worship. I mean, why would a God that great 
deign to care about a worshiper as insignificant as a sailor. That's why most common people worship smaller family gods. But, but it all makes sense to the, the sailors now. Of course it was a great God like that who would send a storm like this, a God of heaven who made the sea. What was Jonah thinking to flee from this kind of God by taking a trip on the sea, a God who made the sea, a God of heaven? That was stupid. The sailors already knew Jonah was running from God. Jonah had already told them, but they had no idea that this God was so great or that this God could control the sea. And so now they realize how stupid Jonah was being. And so the men became extremely frightened and they said to Jonah, how could you do this? And they added, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us for the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. They've turned to Jonah now as the only one who can help them. They're they're looking to him again for a word from heaven, asking him to, to be a prophet. Help us. Give us some spiritual insight here. You're running from your God, and that God brought a storm on you. That God is not happy. How do we solve this problem? How do we all survive this situation? Is there any hope? And how does Jonah reply? I was wrong to disobey my God. I will repent of my error, and I'll turn my life around. I'll do it God's way now. Let let me tell the Lord that. Let me repent, and then we can all go back to Joppa so I can obey and go to Nineveh. Is that how Jonah replies? (laughs) With repentance? No, never. Jonah, again, refuses to obey the Lord. He wants nothing to do with the Lord. He'd rather die first. So he tells the men, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come on you. God wants me, not you, but I'm not going back. I'm not obeying. So kill me and you'll be spared. Well, the sailors think, no way. This guy has a death wish. They may be pagans, but they're not evil. (laughs) There's no way they're offering Jonah as a human sacrifice to some God. That would be wicked. That would be murder. Of course they know that. So what other choice do they have? Well, Jonah's running from his God. So let's bring him back to his homeland, to his God. And let's just get back to land, period. So the men row desperately to return to land. But they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. God doesn't let up with the storm because Jonah hasn't repented. Jonah doesn't want to go back, and God's still pressing Jonah, pressing on his heart. Finally, the sailors realize it's futile. They're desperate. Jonah, the prophet of the Lord, has been no help. So so now they, the pagan sailors, cry out to the Lord. They do something Jonah won't do. They cry out to the true God, to the Lord. They pray, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us 
for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. The sailors recognize the Lord is in charge here. They don't want to kill Jonah, but they don't know what else to do. They're worried about being guilty. They're worried that in killing Jonah, they might be offending the Lord. They don't know what the Lord is like. And Jonah belongs to the Lord. And the Lord may very well not like them killing Jonah. They don't know. But but they're out of options. So they pray for mercy to this God that they don't know. They pray that God would understand their desperate predicament and be lenient toward them. And then they throw Jonah into the sea in desperation. And the storm stops raging. And the sea grows calm. And the sailors are astounded and relieved. Their lives have been spared. And so we read, then the men feared the Lord greatly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They feared the Lord greatly. Remember that the only thing Jonah says in this story, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Yeah, right. Does Jonah fear the Lord? He's not acting like it at all. What we need to realize about fearing the Lord in the Bible It's not so much about a feeling as it is about an action. Fearing the Lord doesn't mean so much we feel afraid of God, but rather that we trust God and we obey God. That's fearing the Lord. And Jonah shows no evidence of this at all. But the sailors do. They actually do fear the Lord greatly, the narrator tells us. And probably when they got back to land, they offered sacrifices to the Lord. They made vows, perhaps even going to the trouble or going to the temple of God's presence to make their sacrifices, because that's what people would do back then. So that's the first scene in this story. A story of contrasts between an Israelite prophet who claims to fear the Lord but is running from God and would rather do anything, would rather die than obey God. A prophet who doesn't pray once in this story, who risks the life of a whole ship to get what he wants. A contrast between him and a bunch of pagan sailors who pray repeatedly, who seek to hear from God, who urge Jonah to pray, who respect Jonah's life, and eventually who actually fear the Lord and make vows and sacrifices to the Lord. And so what do we learn from this story about hearing from God? Well, first, we learn that God can speak to us in various ways. By my account, by my count, uh, God speaks to Jonah three times, at least. First, unmistakably and clearly, When God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh with the words, arise, cry, or call out against Nineveh. Second, God speaks to Jonah when the captain wakes up Jonah, actually with the same words that God spoke originally, but now with a tryst. Arise, cry, or call out to your God. Hello, heaven is speaking. Wake up and listen. Arise, call out to your God. Then the third time God speaks 
through the sailors who cast lots. And the lot falls on Jonah and they pressure him. And now he's got to fess up and come clean about how he's running from God. So God can speak to us in various ways. Through a clear word, through circumstances and events, through a storm that won't let up even when they try to row back to land. And also God can speak to us through people, even unlikely people who might even be rebuking us. God speaks in various ways. But then the second lesson that we learn about hearing from God is that our early family conditioning and church conditioning, what we learn from parents, from relatives, from Sunday school teachers, from pastors, can actually block and keep us from hearing God. Do you realize that? It's because of Jonah's upbringing, even his religious upbringing, that Jonah doesn't want to listen to God's call for him to go to Nineveh. In chapter 1, we, we, we don't know yet exactly what the details of that are. That'll become clearer as, we, as the story was read later in the story. But it's clear here right from the beginning, Jonah really, really does not want to go to Nineveh. So much so that he'll give up everything to avoid it. He'll run from God. He'll try to get away from God. He'll leave his people. He'll leave his family. He'll shell out big bucks. And if Jonah was already a prophet and maybe even a popular one, he'll give up that too. And underlying all of that is how Jonah was brought up to view Nineveh. Jonah doesn't want any part of them. After all, he's an Israelite. He was raised to love his country. He's pro-Israel. And he's anti-Nineveh, anti-Assyria. Jonah's the one who gave the popular prophecy that good things would happen to Israel, even though Israel was wicked too. And other prophets were warning and railing against Israel that they repent. And what you have to realize is that Assyria has caused Israel pain in the recent past. Assyria has subjected Israel in the past to great taxation, to tribute. They're the oppressors. They're the enemies. And so Jonah is conditioned by his upbringing to be prejudiced against the Assyrians. He wants nothing but bad things for them. And how dare God suggest anything different? Because, and here's a hint of what's to come, if you warn the bad people that God is going to punish them, there's always a chance they might heed the warning. Or they might punish you. You don't know. Either way, Jonah says, no way. I want no part of that. I don't want anything to do with the people of Nineveh. So how about us? Were you raised like I was to love your country? To love America if you were raised here? I was, and it's not bad at all. 
to love your country. But what about this? Were you raised to hate your country's enemies? To not want good things for them? Whether those are overseas enemies or whether it's people right in your own country who are hurting your country, whether it's America or wherever you're from. That sort of conditioning, whether it's from your parents or from your church, will get in the way of you hearing from God. The God who said, love your enemies. The God who so loved the whole world that he gave his only son. And who asks his children to help share the, that love, God's love, with the whole world. If you've been conditioned to love your country above God and to put loyalty to your country above loyalty to God's gospel mission, to everyone, to all sorts of people, that will be a blockage that will keep you from hearing some of what God wants to say to you. Sure was for Jonah. And this leads to the third lesson from this passage about hearing from God. When it comes to hearing from God, we might not like everything God says. We might not want to hear it at all. God will not stay in our box. Jonah sure didn't like what God had to say to him. Now for Jonah, the message was unmistakably clear, and so he had to deal with it somehow. And he did. And his approach was to run away from God and to try to silence God's voice. But we do that too. And if God doesn't speak to us as clearly as he did to Jonah and as unmistakably, it, it's all the more easy for us to ignore and to tune out what we don't like that God might be saying. Let me ask us a question. Are there parts of scripture you don't like that you're tempted to tune out and that you conveniently overlook and don't take seriously? And then the fourth lesson about hearing from God if we do resist what God is saying to us, we may not be able to hear as well in the future. If we start resisting what God is saying to us, we may decrease our ability to hear from God again in the future. Jonah runs from God, and as a result, he falls asleep. And so he's oblivious to the storm. God's talking. All the sailors hear it, but not Jonah. He's out cold. Then Jonah doesn't respond to the captain's urging him to pray. He can't hear that either. He won't hear it. Until finally the sailors cast lots and implicate Jonah and corner him. And then Jonah has to at least acknowledge that God is talking to him. But God isn't always so persistent. Maybe we're thankful for that. Maybe we're not. But very often, if we don't want to hear what God is saying, if we won't hear it, God may stop talking to us. Jesus talks about this. 
He gives the parable about the sower, right? The four soils and sowing God's word and the various responses to hearing God's word, the various levels of receptivity to God's word. And then Jesus says, those who have, in other words, those who are listening, they will have more of God's word. But those who don't have, those who won't listen, even what they have will be taken from them. The more we're willing to listen to God's voice, the better we'll be able to hear it in the future. The more we shut it out, though, the fainter over time it will become. Do you want to hear from God? Well, that's the opening scene in the story of Jonah. We'll look at it some more next week, same passage. But for this morning, what's God saying to you? What barriers are there in your life to hearing from God? Maybe it's that you you hadn't thought about all the different ways that God might be trying to get your attention. And maybe you want to be more open and attentive to, to more ways that God could be trying to talk to you. Or maybe you're aware of prejudices from your upbringing that close you off to certain subjects or topics, and you're just not willing to allow God to go there. Or maybe there's things God has clearly told you already, but you haven't wanted to hear it. You're like, is there anyone else up there I can talk to? (laughs) Or maybe you've already heard from God, and you're ignoring it, and you need to go back and you need to deal with what God has already said to you before you're going to hear something new or something different. Here's the bottom line. We're not all going to be prophets like Jonah, of whom it could be said, the word of the Lord came to them saying. But if we're God's children, if we have God's word, we're among God's people, and we have a personal relationship with God, then we get to hear God's voice. First through scripture, then through other people, maybe even a pagan sea captain. And then also maybe through other means, through circumstances, through intuitions, through ideas or pictures or words that come into our heads and hearts when we're attentive and when we're open. And the message of today's story is this. However you hear, don't be like Jonah. Don't shut God's word out. But listen and pay attention. So we're going to, many of the weeks over the next, uh, during this series, we're going to do a little exercise, um, whether you're on Zoom or, or you're here this morning, um, to practice putting this into practice. Um, and I'll, I'll lead you through this. You're just going to do it privately in your own heart this morning. And let me pray for us as we begin this. God, some of us are desperate to hear your voice. Others of us are open to it. 
Others of us are very gun shy, afraid, hurt. I pray that you'd meet each of us where we're at with your goodness and help us to open up our ears to hear from you. I pray that you would remove blockages. And even as we do this little exercise now, help us to hear from you. Amen. So um, what's your greatest block to hearing from God? Take a minute and think about what that might be. Think about what's your greatest block to hearing from God. If you're not sure, ask God to show you and just listen quietly for a minute. Maybe it's you weren't aware of the, all the different ways God could speak to you. You haven't tried, you haven't practiced, you haven't taken time. Maybe you're too busy. Maybe um, it's your upbringing. Maybe it's some prejudices which are standing in the way. Maybe you just don't like what God said to you in the past. What's your greatest block to hearing from God? Imagine now if you have that block, if you've got some, some idea. Um, imagine God trying to talk to you and imagine that blockage standing in the way. Just picture that, however you picture that. Imagine God trying to talk to you and that blockage standing in the way. And now imagine how God feels about that. Um, you might want to ask God, God, how do you feel about that? That blockage being in the way so that I can't hear you. And if the first thing that you're coming up with is that God's angry or frustrated with you, ask God if there's anything else. Maybe sad, maybe disappointed, maybe something else. Ask God how God feels about that block being between you and God. And now, um, um, think about how God might help you to remove that blockage. And if you want help, ask God about that. 
God, how, how, would, how would we remove this block? And, and would you help me to know how it could be removed? And picture what that might look like for God to help you remove that blockage. So God, as we close now, um, some of us likely would like you to remove that blockage. And so for those of us who would, we're praying to you now and saying, God, would you do that? Would you remove that blockage so I can hear from you more clearly? I want to hear your voice. Amen. Amen.